Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. Today it's Friday, December 23rd, 2016. Opened up the show with some Pink Floyd from their album Animals. And a big thank you to Dana Morgan for turning me on to this album. Dana is having a birthday tomorrow, so I wanted to play some music for her uh, in, in her honor. We'll be getting back to some more anti-fascist music but I think that's also pretty much anti-fascist when you listen to the lyrics. So I wanted to get that out there. Today, a uh, buddy of mine will be calling in, Terrence Caton. Really looking forward to talking with him. That'll be great. So this week, what's been happening this week? Jeez, can things get better or worse? I don't know. That's what we're all looking for to find out. A few news stories coming out. Uh, first of all, I'll have to start off with uh, just sending a lot of love to some friends out in New York City. Uh, a friend of mine, Colin, was attacked along with friends of his past, this past Saturday in New York on the corner of Walker and Broadway, and Colin wrote a piece about it. And I might be sharing it depending on how things go here, but he was very clear with, with what he was sharing about it, and he and his friends were attacked by Trump supporters with Blue Lives Matter bracelets on. So, um, thankfully, he's recovering, and it's it's also just a warning sign. Some people are saying, oh, let's not get too scared, let's not worry about things that are happening, and the hate crimes have already started, and Colin wrote a really great post in it he mentions that these attacks have already been taking place since the beginning of this country. And I think that's important to recognize it. There's an increase in attacks and these have been happening from before. And I can only speak for myself. There's a lot of frustration in that this is what a lot of us have been talking about for a very long time. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger and a lot of sadness in that People have been fighting against white supremacy, against patriarchy, against capitalism for a very long time. And now we've seen this person who's been elected, although not by the majority of people, not even the majority of people who voted. <laughs> like, so not the majority of people at all. And a lot of what he's representing is this continuation of oppressive regimes, of oppressive behavior. And to see the followers assume that this is a reason that they can increase their attacks is extremely scary. And I think people don't realize that, that there's still, I still see on my timeline and I guess social media is still like a, I live in a bubble. We all live in our own bubbles, certainly. And my bubble's restrictive, but there still are people who are saying, Oh, don't, don't worry. Or this won't be that bad. Or you talk to people who say this isn't that bad. And I think for a lot of these people, the, the ideas that are coming out are things that might not, affect them directly. I think in the end it will eventually, you know, you you rely on medical care. And also even if it doesn't affect you directly, it does affect you because there's that idea. And I think it's very true that we're all connected. And if someone's being attacked, we're all being attacked because it doesn't affect you or maybe your friends or your family. Some of us, it does affect us directly or our friends or our family. So there is that really intense feeling about it, that intense worry, that intense anger, because it's not affecting your friends doesn't mean that you shouldn't worry about it. At the end of the day, it will end up affecting you. And these are, how do you, it's this kind of isolationist mentality, this idea that somehow people in the world, just because you might not interact with them, that somehow their lives don't matter to you. 
And I think that's a really dangerous thought. And that kind of goes along the lines of defending dictatorship, defending hatred. And I was really distraught to to hear about this attack. <sighs> Just very, very, very distraught. And one shouldn't have to defend one's friend for existing in the world. And he's just this beautiful person that's kind and gentle and generous and wonderful, righteous, awesome, fabulous person. And to see someone be like that to be attacked, how, how can one not be enraged about that? And something else that I think folks might not recognize is that this is happening if it's happening to our friends, there's an idea that it will happen to us too. So I think it's very, um, very important to, to recognize that and to call that out. So just wanted to give that some voice. Something else that's been happening is the, and it's all, it's all connected. It's really how are we responding to this push of fascism against us and the Rockettes have been asked to perform at the inauguration and many of them do not want to but their union is saying that they have to or else they will lose their jobs so there's a few petitions that are going out to demand and also just there's email addresses I can read a few things right now for folks who want to write to email and it feels good I've been calling in terms of trying to get that Milo guy to not speak at colleges and universities um, since people have been attacked, uh, it's, it's, yeah. So it feels good though, to be proactive. And I was talking with someone this morning and this idea is a lot of us are unhappy with what's happened and want to make change. And then there's this idea of, we don't know how to necessarily make these changes. What, how do we support each other? And people want to be active. And I feel like in the United States in particular, there is this eh, kind of, lethargic, apathetic, eh, I know things are wrong, but what can I really do to change things? And so it's great. I really appreciate people who are putting the information out there as ways what one can support. So there is one person who's put it together like a, a fund for the protesting rockets because they might lose their jobs if they refuse to. Although, I am thinking in my in my mind, I was thinking a lot today about the kick lines that they do. And if they were forced to perform at the inauguration, how awesome it would be if a certain person was right in front of their feet when they were kicking. And again, I don't like that this, a lot of this is bringing up violence in me, these violent fantasies. And at the same time, I really feel like it's self-defense because here is someone who is encouraging harmful behavior someone who has assaulted people and has not been held accountable and has not apologized. Someone has made recurring, he encourages it. He encourages it. There's no room. He's made no room for, oh, what I did was wrong and apologized. Or let me think about my behavior for a second. Instead, it's more encouraging other people to do the same and getting away with it as he is entitled and has a very... He's got security guard. It's just so gross. The fact that we're even wasting time talking about it is, is really gross. So I think about how if they have to go, and hopefully they won't have to go, but if they do, how awesome it would be for just a bunch of rockets to beat the shit out of him. And you know what? I recognize violence is not 
great in the long-term solution, but for self-defense, it is. It's really good. And how I think a lot of people would be really down for that. I think a lot of people would be down for that. I think about all these people in positions of power who speak out against marginalized groups who, who, who have never had to face that, what it's like to walk down the street and be afraid. A lot of us have, or to be in certain places and not feel safe or not feel seen and heard. Most people, I would say, have felt that way. So I'm thinking, what would that be like for folks to strike back? What would that look like? How satisfying would that be? It's not, he's not some defenseless person with no, it's, it's, I think a lot of it's also just what he represents. He represents this bully and because he wasn't stopped before, because his father wasn't stopped before, this is what we're looking at right now. And I think also just a lot about being silenced. And I feel that in my own life too. There's so many situations in the past year even, and I feel like I'm outspoken in a lot of ways. And then there are moments that I distinctly remember whether or not it's posting something online or a situation I was with, with someone and I wanted to say something or do something and I stopped myself from doing it. And I look back and I think, what if I had just followed my gut instinct and said or done this one thing and I know it would have been the right thing to do. And instead it, it, and it becomes, it's easy to get caught up in it. One doesn't listen to themselves once and then it happens. It's easier to happen again and again and again, like the self-censorship, this idea of not acting with our hearts and our guts and society encourages that. Unfortunately, it encourages people to not speak their truth for me in, in my life, I've had a number of experiences like that where I have spoken my truth and I've either been gaslit or I've been told I was wrong. I was told to be quiet and that it continues to happen. And it's hard not to take that on a lot of the time in all aspects of one's life. What does that mean if you're constantly told that you're not right, that you are not correct, especially if you're advocating for yourself? If you're calling someone out who maybe has more privilege or more power than you, and they are, they tell you, no, that's not true. What does that look like? And that's why we're living in the situation that we're living in right now is that people who have called out people in power have been silenced. That's exactly why we're at where we're at right now. So it's very frustrating for people to say, how, how did we get here? Why did this happen? This has been going on for a long time. People have been stepping up and people have been speaking out and they've been silenced. There are still people, I won't get into the election very much. I'm extremely upset. I mean, I didn't have much faith in the DNC to begin with. This idea that there was a candidate who had a lot of support. I keep on meeting new people all the time who clearly would have been okay with Bernie being elected. They clearly would have been. And it's not to say that there isn't, of course there's misogyny everywhere. There absolutely is. That doesn't, that doesn't detract from the, the point that Bernie would have been someone who would have had a lot of support and very could have easily beaten Trump. And for those of us who were saying, hey, the primaries were rigged, people whose votes didn't count, they weren't counted. He was edged out because people didn't want to f someone who is more left, quote unquote, left leaning or more socialist leaning. And now we're stuck with this. And then people are still blaming third party voters. People are still blaming people instead of folks who edged out someone who had so much support. And in 
all this analysis would have won. So, and again, it's, there's this constant bullying and beating up of uh, super pro- people on the more progressive end of things. And I, I recognize that label can be a bit problematic, but it's why are you pushing around the more radical people? That's what I don't understand. It's the, it's the more moderate. It's the people who have just kind of, eh, I guess I'll let the Democrats do whatever. I guess I'll, I'll just, how is that? How is, how is punishing people who really want a more radicalized agenda? How is that helping at all? And one could say on the flip side, how am I, when I'm talking about right now, how am I helping? And maybe it's, it's just as divisive. It just feels very frustrating, though, knowing that there was a candidate out there. There was a candidate out there who could have won easily. And we don't have that. (sighs) So I feel frustrated. A lot of people feel frustrated. And a lot of people feel scared. I can't speak for everyone. However, most people I'm talking to are not in a good place right now because of this. And it's affected people's behavior. It's affected my behavior. There is this anxiety and as someone who I was talking with a friend yesterday about epigenetics and for folks who have survived or had to live through fascist regimes, what it's like to hold that in one's body. And you can't let go of that. They, one can go to therapy and create art and talk about it to the, for a very long time. And that's still, it doesn't make what happened go away. And I wish some folks could recognize that, that it's not just something you can snap your fingers and say, oh, well, whatever ancestors went through, we can just ignore it. We can close our eyes or we can pretend it didn't happen. But no, it it lives on through us. And this is bringing up a lot of things. This is triggering to a lot of people. There's definitely been hearing a lot of anti-Semitic attacks. There's the Islamophobic attacks. There's misogynist attacks. And again, of course, these are things that were always happening and already were happening. And for folks who have never been socialized as women or never been viewed as female to assume that this isn't a big fucking deal for women out there. This is really shitty. I pretty much every person I know who is female knows what it's like to be harassed or to be assaulted. And how fucking disgusting is that, that that is the default that more people than not know what it's like to be silenced. And I remember it from my own experience. I was 27. I had 27 years of it. And that's something that is difficult to connect with people about because yes, I can walk through the world now with a certain amount of privilege because I'm viewed with masculine viewed as masculine and that doesn't undo the things I experienced in my 27 years being viewed as female. So I, I get it. I really, really do get it. And now there's that flip side where of course I don't feel welcome or included in a lot of female spaces and I recognize that and I appreciate that. And on the flip side, I also don't really feel like I want to be in male spaces. So that's a, it's a complicated discussion that is, I think all the more reason to, to kind of deconstruct this idea of gender and this binary as well. But I do get it for all the women out there. I fucking get it. And if someone's meeting me right now, they wouldn't have, they would have no idea. And to not have that connection feels like a very big loss to me in a way. And I do feel very isolated because of that. Cause I do get it. I have lived it. I've yeah. 27 years is a long time to live it. So I get it. <sighs> All right. So Terrence Caton will be calling in 
in about six minutes. I played a few tracks off Pink Floyd's Animals. The first track was called Pigs on the Wing, part one. The second track, which is a very long track, it's a 17-minute track, so I played about half of it, is called Dogs Rock. And we'll be playing some more a little bit later on. And so, yeah, there's an article that I would like to get to. We got about six minutes, so, mm, yeah, we'll see if we can get to it. This is from The Atlantic, and it's talking about how women are better than men, which we don't really need an article to prove. We already know this. But I thought it'd be good to just check that out. And uh, I always kind of grew up with this knowledge, and I also prefer seeing female doctors to male doctors, and that's just me. Evidence of the Superiority of Female Doctors, and this was written by James Hamblin, and this came out on December 19th. New research estimates that if all physicians were female, 32,000 fewer Americans would die every year. Wow. Salaries for female physicians average some $19,879, 8% lower than male physicians. At academic hospitals, male physicians receive more research funding and are more than twice as likely as female physicians to rise to the rank of full professor. These disparities have historically been attributed to the effects of disproportionate domestic responsibilities, including maternity leave and subsequent part-time schedules. As physicians Rita Redberg and Anna Parks note, this can be perceived to undermine the quality of female physicians' work and explain male physicians' higher salaries. But no, female physicians actually tend to provide higher quality medical care than males, according to research released today. If male physicians were as adept as females, some 32,000 fewer Americans would die every year among Medicare patients alone. The research is published in the journal JAMA International Medicine. That's not international, it's internal. Excuse me. JAMA Internal Medicine. Researchers from Harvard University reviewed the records of 1,583,028 hospital visits among Medicare patients. Within 30 days of arriving at the hospital, rates of death and readmission were significantly lower when the patient's doctor was female. This was true for people with medical conditions of all sorts and severities. The researchers tried to account for every variable, but ultimately, all that was left was the finding that women are superior to men, which just end the sentence and the article right there, but I'll continue on. Okay. Ultimately, all that was left was the finding that women are superior to men at treating these 65 and older patients in the hospital. The association held true even for patients who were randomly assigned to a physician when they arrived. People treated by a female had a 4% lower relative risk of dying and a 5% lower relative risk of being admitted to the hospital again in the following month. To explain the discrepancy, the researchers point to past studies that have shown female physicians are more likely to provide preventative care and psychosocial counseling. Female doctors are also more likely to adhere to clinical guidelines. Though, as Redberg and Parks note in an accompanying editorial today, Adherence to clinical guidelines does not always equate with quality or value of care. Instead, they point to data that says female physicians have a more patient-centered communication style, are more encouraging and reassuring, and have longer visits than male physicians. Still, the implication is not that everyone should rush to choose a female physician. Just me. I do that. I happen to do that. Uh, Discarding, I've had some male doctors who are great. I don't want to, no, I mean, it's true, but I'll just continue on with the article. Discarding males in droves. For one, this would be impractical since females make up only one-third of the American physician workforce. In the journal article, the researchers conclude, rather, understanding exactly why these differences in care, quality, and practice 
patterns exist may provide valuable insights. And in a press statement, researcher Ashish Jha said the next step would be to understand why female physicians have lower mortality so that all patients can have the best possible outcomes, irrespective of the gender of their physician. While gender differences and practice styles have been shown in past research, today's study is the first to compare such meaningful outcomes as death and rehospitalization. These are the results that many patients and doctors, and certainly hospitals and insurance corporations, care about most. In a profession increasingly conscious of bottom lines and quality outcomes, these numbers may be what it takes to spur equal or better compensation and opportunity for female physicians. Right on. There's a recurring theme on the show, and that's when I read surveys or articles about surveys that prove what we already know. And I feel like this is along those lines as well. So, yeah, it's just great to have some more evidence for what a lot of us already argue for. So my friend Terrence, also a special guest, also a friend. I can't help but say he's a friend because, yeah, good people. Really glad to know him. All right, so here's a brief bio. So Terrence Caton is a radically inclusive spiritual prayer warrior, transgender U.S. Navy veteran, cannabis and compassionate communicating advocate, queer person of color. So Terrence will be calling in momentarily and very much looking forward to, to talking with Terrence. So that's good. Um, I'm going to put on a little bit more music, and then we'll be back with Terrence in just a moment. So here's some more... Uh, Pink Floyd will be, I guess, continuing from just about where we left off.
Welcome back. On the phone, we have Terrence Caton. Terrence, thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you for having me, Roman. Hello. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're able to have this conversation. Yes, sir. Me too. Thank you again for inviting me. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to discuss. We had a good talk the other day, and yeah. thought it'd be great to, to, to share even more with the listeners. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, I always appreciate talking to other folks who are trans. I feel that there's a, there's a certain understanding that a lot of us have with one another and maybe a shorthand with language and how we communicate where there's a lot less explanation that we have to do when we talk about our lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly, um, constantly when I'm feeling, uh, there's a need, I I need some sort of, uh, anything if it's like, automatic uh, like mechanical or um like like currently i'm looking for like a personal trainer like i always want to look for trans men who are already doing that yes (laughs) yeah so that i can like uh, you know reach out to family you know uh queer family and you know do you know anybody you know what i mean because it's um like you said the language um there's just a certain understanding that i i greatly appreciate um and authenticity um when I'm communicating with my with my queer, you know, brethren and uh, you know, tr- trans brothers and sisters. Yeah, definitely. It feels like there's a lot less to be for me anyway. Just there's a lot less that I'm afraid of, or I because I feel in general I have a lot of walls up just for self preservation and for self protection. And when I'm in spaces with folks who have had similar experiences or get it, I feel like I can let down at least one extra wall, and that feels mm-hmm. it's like I'm letting as if I'm carrying a heavy, a heavy burden, I can just lay that down a little bit, and that feels really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that also, and feel similar um, in that uh, I feel better equipped once um, you know I've communicated uh, with uh, my queer family in some way, shape, or form about an obstacle or, um, you know, barrier or something that, that I'm facing. So I feel more prepared to, you know, just face the battle that is the cis world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The cis uh, world. Oh, <laughs> so speaking of the cis world and battles, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your experience in the Navy and the military. Yeah. I love to, man. That's, a uh, topic near and dear to my heart like constantly um yeah uh let's see i i joined the navy i listed in the service um september 6 2001 mm. um, oh wow yeah <laughs> yeah so i was ju- i just turned 18 uh in july and uh you know uh five days away from uh september 11th yeah and, uh, i had no clue i was just going in basically for some security i i knew i wanted to get to school uh but didn't didn't know what i wanted to do in school so i was like you know i need something secure you know and i can figure out you know what what i want to do later in life um i didn't know how long later that would come <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know but uh um yeah, so I was uh, a young female when I enlisted uh, in, in boot camp, and, uh, like, 
I mean, I want to say, you know, we were, it was, we were, I was fairly like day, you know, week two, one or two, because we were learning how to uh, fold our skivvies, which is like a, a, a nickname for underwear, undergarments in our uh, compartment. So we had like a bunk partner and uh, the people next to me were, you know, they saw the underwear that I had. It was like right when, uh, like those boy cut uh, panties came out and yeah. so they were like kind of thick. Yeah. Like, uh, like, like, like tidy whities you know? So I was super excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To get oh, those. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, some shipmates or whatever saw that and asked me like immediately, you know, are you, are you gay? You wow. Know? And I, um, in boot camp, I mean, I, I, I'd heard about, you know, it was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell got repealed. So, I mean, I, that was like plastered, you know, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was plastered in, at the forefront of my mind. And, uh, I think, you know, I just replied, you know, I, I plead the fifth, you know, I didn't yeah. want to get thrown out or, you know, I didn't know what the consequences would be if I, um, you know, answered my heart's desire. Um, so they automatically assumed whatever they wanted, you know, and I just kind of, uh, bit my tongue and, um, at that instant, I was like, well, not at that instant, but like, you know, years later, I'm like, they don't talk about what happens to the person that does ask. Yeah. You know I mean, like, yeah. there is no repercussions for that person. It is huh. all on, on the assuming, you know, assumingly, uh, the assumption that the person is queer or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, from that, that, from that moment on, the time in the service was completely rocky, you mm. know, just cause, uh, I mean, I could do all the things that every, you know, everybody else there did, but there was definitely just, um, this lack of, um, um open communication, uh, that, uh, I didn't realize was, you know, at a young, young age, 18, you know, I thought that I could, you know, just do whatever and, and face whatever, you know, I've been silent all this this time, you know, what's another four years, you know, for, yeah. for a career, I was thinking. Um, but uh, unfortunately, like, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the experiences in life, you know, life lessons took me one, another way, you yes. know, and, and not unfortunately, but just like, um, that's the way that it is. Like, today, I'm fortunate that I went through all the stuff that I did. I went to... Uh, captain's mass, which is like a repercussion for uh, um, uh, not following the uniform UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is like oh. 150 or 200 articles of things that you can't do. Whoa, uh, that sounds really yeah. restrictive. I can't yeah. even imagine. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of rules. Yeah, it's, it's pretty extravagant. And uh so from that thing, you know, I'm like, well, it seemed like they pick and choose what they what they want to enforce and yes. when they want to enforce it. You yes, know what I mean? yes. Sort of like the civilian life and how, uh, you know, some some officers, you know, will uh, you know uh, pull you over for not, you know, uh, using your blinker. You know, mm -hmm. and some some officers just won't use their blinker. You know what I mean? So it's like you kind of pick and choose what you want to do at that certain time. You know, if it's uh, convenient, I guess, and so um, don't ask, don't tell, and, and uh, that in 2001 was like at the forefront of everybody's mind, so it's like 
they had their, you know, their, their queer, you know, goggles on just waiting ugh. for someone to bite. And, That's, uh, ugh. Me being, you know, the, the, the young, young person and excited to uh, venture out into the world, you know, I was just uh, the unfortunate uh, <laughs> um, suspect at the time. So, um, I mean, you can see my queerness coming you know, a mile away, yeah. you know, looking back at myself, you know, <laughs> and uh, some of the conversations I had with some close friends, like, no one ever said that they were, you know, lesbian or gay or whatever, but we all had, we knew we were family, yes. you know what I mean, we knew yeah. we, we were, you know, community um, in some way, shape, or form, uh, and, um, yeah, so, uh, being reprimanded for homosexual conduct Ugh. and um, fraternizing, which is just basically um, uh, like being a new, like you can't really uh, have relationships with uh, people uh, in your chain of command. Uh, and uh, so I got, I got firsthand experience as to what that, <laughs> yeah. what that felt like. And, and thankfully, you know, uh, nothing uh, extravagant happened. I didn't get kicked out, you know. I still, um, and that was what I was most worried about, you know, uh, not ha- not leaving the, the, the military with an uh, honorable discharge. Um, so uh, I fortunately did. Still, uh, you know, after the, the hiccups and uh, falling over some hurdles, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have um, discharged with, with an honorable. And so... Um, mission accomplished to me you know what i mean like all the other bumps and bruises are just now uh, life experiences and i know a little bit better going into other uh you know places of profession um you know to watch out for and uh, to be a little more cautious and uh, a little more mature in my own you know yeah it it sounds just uh, so wellness oh yeah yeah thinking it sounds so restrictive to not allow someone to come out if they want to or to talk about who they are and how it's it's abusive like psychologically abusive for people to not to not allow people to be who they are or to even express desire or their sense of identity and how isolating that is and i guess we've seen a lot of that not even in the military, but just outside, you know, growing up in this kind of forced heterosexualization or heteronormative, heteronormativity is one way of looking at it. And also just with gender roles and how it hurts absolutely everybody. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree, brother. Um, traumatizing indeed. Uh, and I'm, I'm like explaining that to now as a veteran, um, to the Veterans Administration, um, mm. you know, the, the psychological warfare that, that I had to battle. Um, you know, I wasn't in physical combat, you know what I mean, but the uh, the spiritual combat was, uh, you know, definitely very prevalent. Um, and and uh, it has a trickle-down effect, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Even, even today, you know, a lot of the anxiety uh, stems from, from those... those uh, those experiences in my, in my, you know, early adulthood, uh, for whatever reasons. Um, and I know that, uh, if, 
if, if I had experienced that inside that institution, mm-hmm. then I know my brothers and sisters outside of that, you know, in the civilian world, uh, also too, uh, you know, I've heard these experiences, shared experiences, and I can see them for myself. Yeah. You know? And so uh, I'm just kind of like waiting patiently for the institutions, uh, the, 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 you know, um, uh, like people in processes to recognize the damage, excuse me, that um, like public school systems can do yeah. to uh, an individual. Yes. Um, um, and, and like you said, this, this heteronormative um, mindset uh, that is really um, just damaging our, 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 our chances for, for uh, healthy relationships with one another. Yeah, you absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned schools too, because I feel, though I haven't been in school for a while, I do feel there was even this idea of conformity and that can go beyond gender and sexuality, but this idea of conformity in terms of ideas and repeating the ideas that they want you to believe in instead of encouraging students to think critically and question authority. There seems to be almost the opposite of that in a lot of educational institutions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, it feels uh, that's just like across the board um, and unless... Uh, you're fortunate enough to, uh, well, just institutionally, unless you're fortunate enough to be homeschooled or uh, privileged enough to to, to uh, have folks investing your education um, mm-hmm. in another kind of way. Yes, yes. Uh, like Waldorf uh, School of Learning and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, there really isn't uh, the opportunity other than, you know, uh, creative arts in some way, shape, or form, uh, be it sports or music or, you know, writing or uh, drawing or something like that. Yeah. Um, to really think for yourself. Um, drama class, you know, sometimes is, you know, also another uh, rarity, you know, these days, unfortunately, that I really um, was really uh, fortunate to have experienced um in high school and, and just just to explore, you know, just to say things um, out out loud um, <clears throat> to other people, uh, you know, growing up as a little uh, girl and, um, like, online, you know, the, mm. the AOL was real big yeah. uh, when I was growing up. So, like, expressing myself uh, um, online in chat rooms was really, like, uh, I'm, I'm looking back my way of like um, being expressive you know and just playing with the, with the words that were coming to my brain and, and not having an outlet to share those with, with my mouth and my words uh, with people yes. uh, in my community um, so uh, yeah young people have to find their, their ways of uh, and, and older people too you know maybe we have to find new ways of uh expressing ourselves so that we can um be healthy and whole individuals yeah yeah it's hard not to take on a lot of the behaviors that we're so like opposed to i feel that in myself too with this under capitalism feeling either pushed around or taken advantage of and then seeing that those behaviors in my own in myself sometimes as well where if i'm if i feel hurt by someone then i end up hurting someone else that kind of chain reaction and 
it'd be great to find ways to, to move beyond that and to challenge it when it happens to us. And I, I feel, unfortunately, a lot, it's in my own experience, whether it comes from usually, you know, authoritative figures or people with more privilege than, than myself, if someone's kind of pushing me around, I don't really have the option maybe to fight back. And then it seems that oftentimes then we ended up taking it out on our own communities because we can't quite uh, rechannel that anger towards the folks who have hurt us in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, brother. Absolutely, man. Um, thank you for, for sharing that the way you did. Um, and I, that happens to me and I just, I don't, I didn't, I don't realize what is happening in the moment. Yeah. Um, but I definitely feel like a sensation come over me yeah. when I feel, um, either, uh, Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe either taken advantage of. There's a sensation, and uh, maybe talked down to. Mm. Um, also, yes, um, yes. You know, uh, there's definitely uh, these sensations that I get where I'm like, you know, I don't think this person is recognizing the being that is in front of them. You yes, know, for for who it is. Yes, you know, and um, and if that happens to me, I wonder how many other times this happens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and then you know, and so that like snowballs. And then uh, inside of me, uh, in my in my thinking, um, and I definitely like, you know, um, look for outlets, and I'm like, oh, I should I should call. I need to call someone and 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 try to you know laugh about this and some you know share and, and figure out how you know get this out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes it, it just sits in me, you know, and I don't know you know, what to do with it or, or where to, you know, where to put it. And definitely um, maybe contemplating how to come about if this happens again in a better, uh, more fulfilling, um, you know, uh, way. But, yeah, that's hard uh, if we don't know, you know, what it is uh, that we're seeing and going through, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems to be a very uh, common occurrence, and I'm glad we're able to to talk about it and to give find language for it. Uh, just to, to speak its truth, I feel that's a big thing too: is calling things out when they happen and recognizing them, because there's also a lot of gaslighting and victim blaming that happens. Or, I mean, I I found that a lot too, where I talk about something that feels painful or I feel hurt. And sometimes the people I confide in or talk to about it either don't want to hear it or they insist it's not real. And that can be, that's, that's, oh, it's just, it's so hard to, to, to get through. Yeah. Another really good point, brother. Yeah, man. Um, Sometimes, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, when I don't know, when I get those sensations and I don't know what to do with it, maybe that is why, because there's not really the safe space. Yeah. To share it, yeah. Um, you know, this person is going through that, and I know when we communicate, uh, it kind of spirals, and so this isn't the person I should bring it to. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I definitely, definitely feel like that. Um, so yeah, I definitely appreciate having these conversations and and kind of like creating, you know, more of those um, safe safe spaces, like uh, like the. Uh, whoever that phone company is your favorite five or whatever, um, you know, just, um, and I read about, you know, the people like three or five people, the the people you talk to the most, you know what I mean? Like just making sure they're, you know, 
their 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 houses are in order, you know, mm. as best you can. You know, I love for that. And, and um, checking in, like a sort of checks and balances among friends and family. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the ones we can tolerate. You know, <laughs> uh, let's let's keep us close. You know, as close as we can. You know, yeah. safely and uh, nourish each other. Uh, you know, so that we can uh, stay healthy and productive. Um, and uh, give our offerings and accept the offerings of others, um, you know, uh, for what they are. Yeah. You know? And, um, um, yeah, it's constant, you know. These, it is just really amazing being, you know, a human being, you know, and that's what I try to, like, just constantly remember, you know, like, we are, like, these... Um, very extravagant creatures, you know, very um, complex creatures, uh, just wrapped up in the skin, yes. you know, and uh, um, each bit of it, you know, takes its own, uh, you know, um, moments of, 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 of cleansing and nurturing and cleaning and whatever, and um, so just being mindful of that, you know what I mean, in ourselves, and then talking about it so that others are mindful um, is what we are here for. Um, you know, and that, I think it is part of, of, of this experience that is being a human. Uh, yeah. I'm grateful for that, but it is, it's a complex thing. Yes, yeah, and to also carry with us everything that our ancestors have been through and to carry on those lessons because I feel like a lot of these things that we're fighting for have been <laughs> we've been fighting for for a very long time and we just we're seeing it crop you know pop up in different ways and in different yeah in, in different yeah in different ways and how can we take what we've learned or what we know to be true with us while keeping ourselves and our friends and family safe Oh. Um, so maybe shifting the, the, the topic a little bit, I was hoping we could also maybe talk about cannabis and mm. its, its use as medicinal purposes since there still is a stigma attached to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's still definitely, um, uh, stigma attached to it. Uh, I hear, though, you know, on the radio, I'm very thankful people talking about uh, cannabis more and more in the open. Um, 89.5 FM and, uh, like, where they just, like, speak truth, you know what I mean? Sort of like, you know, this, this uh, mutiny radio. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> no filter, you know, for the most part, uh, where people can share as opposed to like, well, I mean, even on even on, um, you know, some 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 mainstream channels, like when uh, Prop sixty four, you know, uh, in November was on the ballot, uh, people were talking candidly a little bit more. Um, still goofy, you know what I mean? Still, still kind of slapstick. Yeah. Uh, but uh, having the conversations, nonetheless, I guess, uh, is a good thing uh, to a certain degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, um, I'm 33 years old. Uh, I got out of the Navy in 2005, 
uh, on, 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 intentionally, you yeah. know, it, it, um, I was grateful for the experience, but I was tired of, of, uh, just living a lie. Yes. You know, quite frankly, I was tired of, of, of the facade that, uh, 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 I was, uh, perpetuating, um, and, and just looking around and seeing not the community that, I, you know, the colorful, uh, community that I wanted and you know, it was just, it was just a profession, you know, and people were just in those in those suits to 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 do a job, you know. And then um see the thing about it is that when you spend so much time in the Navy with someone, you see them, you know, at work and then at their leisure, mm-hmm. you know. Um it kinda interferes with with some with some things it can, you know what I mean? Like, um so I was just tired of like living that double life. <clears throat> Uh, so to speak. Uh, so um, yeah, when I got out of the Navy, um, well, 2008 is when I got um, my uh, medical cannabis card and um, just started, uh, you know, uh, in San Diego uh, using that as medicine. Uh, while I while I kind of began my transition, also. Um, and, and having to navigate, um, just, uh, you know, the, the, whatever the world is, the corporate world or whatever, you know, I wouldn't say corporate, but entry level world. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so it, it, uh, um, I, I, yeah, like just, um, going to the dispensaries down there and, uh, finding community um how to meet my needs in com- in the community um and uh through uh through cannabis and i began working at the San Diego Center for children mm-hmm. um and thankfully like I, like the thing is is that like uh everybody's institution does things differently yeah um, so, uh, people always ask, you know, have you ever, you know, lost out on any jobs, you know what I mean? Because you're a cannabis, uh, patient. Yeah. And, um, you know, my question, my, my response is always like, not any jobs that were meant for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, if that gets in the way of me, you know, getting a job then it, then it really wasn't meant to be, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so... Um, I walk through the experiences um, and 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 do the the song and dance, you know, because that's what they want me to do. Um, but it is up to the individual um, person who uh, administers the the test to either accept or uh, discount uh, the medical uh, marijuana um, recommendation, mm-hmm. doctor's recommendation. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I'm grateful that I that I didn't like let that idea block uh, my blessing, so to speak. Like I didn't, I never held myself back too long when I missed an opportunity, um, mm-hmm. or was fearful and 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 not um, following through with the the hiring process. Yeah. Um, 
I'd rather follow through with the hires and then have them tell me no rather than to, to take myself out of the out of the out of the out of the ring, you know, um, for fear of of whatever, it's losing out, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's so that's never been my thing. So um, I've had the opportunity to go through like experience people's um, either uh, their um, just how they uh, interpret uh, the results, you know, of of uh, a positive, I guess, <laughs> cannabis test reading, you know. Um, when I worked at Safeway, uh, I, it was a, a mouth swab, and um, I just did not smoke the, that morning. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so I passed, you know. She looked at the test and, and was like, yeah, you, you know. And you know, I was like, "All right, thanks." You know, yeah. I got the job started that night, um, smooth sailing. But then, when I went the best, when I went, uh, tried a, uh, did an interview and went through the hiring process for, say, uh, uh, Best Buy or yeah. another company was just a smaller nonprofit, uh, like a senior home. Um, they administered the test through a, a third party, uh, like Diagnostics Quest or something like that, you know? Yeah. So they were um, a little more cut and dry, uh, it seemed. Um, and and everyone always gives the same spiel, you yeah. know, whether when they, when they bring up the negative uh, results with their uh, little, uh, you know, words uh, of letting someone go this way. Um, they always revert back to the uh, the federal regulations, mm. uh, and so uh, you know their their funds don't allow them to. Uh, it seems to me the way that I interpret, um, accept people with uh, cannabis in their system, huh. um, and not only Best Buy and and uh, the the second company I mentioned, but also um, uh, veterans homeless. Uh, shelters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, um, uh, not only uh, well, I was gonna say threatened, but they uh, they won't let in San Diego, anyways. Uh, the they they give you a piss test before you are entered into the the homeless shelter. Yeah. So um, that right there can. Uh, 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 permit pre- prevent people, uh, you know, people that need it uh, shelter because of their uh, their, med- their uh, medicine choice. Mm-hmm. So um, these are some of the barriers that, like, I'm excuse me, uh, like advocating for like uh, better understanding and uh, better processing um, because uh, people want to be active yeah. and want to work and want to earn their living. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, unfair in, in, in like a classist way mm-hmm. um, that they're doing this to us. Um, yeah. You know, I wonder, you know, how many people, um, at, you know, in Congress, you know, do they get, you know, pissed at? You know, before yep. they have to go. Oh, or, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Or before their housing gets, you know, they're more it's approved. Like it's, you know, it's unfair, you know, and so that's uh, another 
type of oppression um, that that no one's really talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That is just the people in positions of power. And so often when they create these bills or these laws that punish people, I really question the folks who are writing these bills, like whether the ones where people who are receiving benefits get have to get tested when I think there have been a number of cases where the, the people behind these bills have themselves been caught with trafficking cocaine or using certain substances. Uh, so there are those bills and then also so many of the, like the anti-trans bills and the anti-gay bills or the misogynist where women don't have access to reproductive health care. Uh, the people, I think those are the biggest enemies and I really try to see the good in everyone. And then when I think about people in positions of power who make it a law to punish people for merely existing and doing what they can to take care of their own bodies, I feel like that's, I have so much anger towards them and I feel like they need to be stopped by any means, really. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the thing that comes to mind when you mention this is that, um, unfortunately, it's the way that that it's it's been for so long. Yeah. Um, and so, um, a lot of people um, I'm seeing are kind of like mimicking that kind of biased um, rule of, way of thinking. Mm. Um, you know, um, and not to throw, throw my ladies under the bus, you know what I mean? But when I see, um, like a minority owned business, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and and yeah, yeah, I guess, um, just minorities, not to throw them under the bus, but, uh, you know, I want them to be, to set themselves apart, you know what I mean? From, from like the system way heteronormative way of 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 living yes like it it does us no good to you know like whatever way shape or form like i have just a a small way of thinking you know what i mean so um like i'm i'm very like like um like coupons and like savings you know um set yourself apart in that way you know what i mean like just because everybody is doing like the minimum, you know, 20% savings, you know, step it up a bit, you know, do, do 30 or do 40, you know, mm-hmm. do something different, you know, so that makes me think, oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're a minority, you know, they don't just have a sticker, but they're really like, uh, or, you know what I mean? Um, catering to the, min- you know, the, the minorities, because we are, you know, under, uh, uh, just underserved mm-hmm. um, and and uh, higher unemployment rate mm. uh, or underemployed, mm. um, you know, for so long uh, that has been, you know, my MO, you know, underemployed, uh, you know, uh, or unemployed, you know, um, so, um, or homeless, you know, or, or couch surfing yeah. or, you know what I mean, just yeah. in the fringes, you know, in, in between yeah. uh, things. And, um well, you know, this is kind of like another topic, but, uh, you know, not, not really um, everyone's like, well, I, I personally didn't want to be like a, a statistic or, um, I, you know, like I hear people saying, um, or, or um, 
not searching for any kind of title, you know what I mean? And yeah. I dig that, you know what I mean? So, like, let's just start making our own, you know yes. what I mean? It's no big deal. Like, create the space that you need for yourself, you yeah. know, and... Um, and 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 those that don't want to, you know, follow suit, you know, leave, they they weren't meant, you know, they got to be left behind, you know what I mean? You got to keep moving, mm-hmm. you know. That's uh, kind of thankfully like where a place I'm coming from is like, well, I'm putting these words together, and if you can't ride with it, then I don't need to ride with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Oh. Yeah, I like to share that with my, with, you know, uh, anybody, you know, anybody that's willing to to, to ride. So um, yeah. that's what I kind of mean by like um, compassionate communicating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just allowing people to create the space and respecting that space, you know, mm-hmm. just respecting their space while while you're in it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh. Wow. Um, so uh, we can talk for a little bit more. Um, I was also just curious if you had anything else you were interested in in sharing. It's a, it's a pretty open open forum. So um, if there's other... I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Oh, sure. It's going to say that you're welcome to share more if there's anything else that's coming up right now that you'd like to speak about. pretty much did it thank you sure sure let me rant (laughs) oh yeah no i mean it's um i feel like we need to have more and we i I mean by society more conversations where there's more listening to each other it would really help things quite a bit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but it's yeah and I was just having this conversation uh, yesterday, I think, with another brother uh, here at breakfast, um, trying to have a conversation. And uh, maybe someone didn't hear it the way they wanted it, you know, then the, the share wanted them to hear it. And he was a little bit uh, perplexed uh, as to why he couldn't understand it the way he wanted them to understand it. And, uh, you know, I just, I said, we all... Uh, you know, learn things at different rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to be mindful of that um, and respectful, you know, of each other in that. Um, and that's that's hard to do in, 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 in the moment. I can, if, if, if it is not practiced, you know, um, it's very hard. Even, even if practiced, you know, it's still hard to do. Yes. Um, 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 because when someone, you know, either raises their voice a hair more than you'd like or, uh, says a word, maybe, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a tone that did not register well, you know, um, these things stir me up, you know, and so, um, I can just imagine on, on, on anyone else's scale, it, it too could, um, we don't know what triggers we have in ourselves yeah. or in, uh, is in someone else. Um, so conversations um, are hard to do, you know. And um, 
I commend people who who try to do them because to be honest, brother, I avoid them like the plague. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they're so hard. Yes. You know, I, I try to, and it's been that way, uh, you know, since as, as far back as I can remember, you know, sharing has been, been hard and, and listening has been hard. And so, um, just like, you know, working out, you know, like <laughs> I know I should do it more, <laughs> yeah. but it's hard. Yeah, you know? it is. It's it hard is. at first. <laughs> um, but then, you know, like working out too, you know, maybe once I, once I work it out, you know, it starts to feel good and like, well, maybe I should do this more often. Yes. Maybe there's something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's something to this, you know. So, um, yeah, thank you for, um, the space to have these conversations brother i commend you man yeah my pleasure it's uh yeah it's yeah ah i i don't have i don't have the words but it feels it's beneficial for absolutely everyone i think the more the more voices that we have and the more we can share our experiences the easier it will be to to get through what we're what we're going through at the moment Uh, so I thought I could close out by playing uh, the song of yours, uh, the PTSD by Tech Nine, featuring King Katon, if that's all right. Yeah, please do. Oh. Thanks, man. Awesome. Sure. So, yeah, thanks again so much for for calling in, and hopefully you can uh, join us again sometime in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me, brother. For sure. Peace. Take care. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for Terrence Caton for calling in. We'll be hearing a track that uh, Terrence created, and then we'll be back with some more news in a little bit. I think he smokes too much weed. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's a tea she's injecting. Okay. okay. I don't see her as a real man. Whatever. Don't try to talk to me like you know what this is. Yeah, I know I might have symptoms that are familiar to you, but I got this. Thanks anyway. Don't let this eat me alive. I only can see this world from the inside. And I'm holding it inside. I can cut you back and let me go. And nothing's making sense. So how the hell you gonna stop these voices in my head that got me awfully rocky? Do you copy? Traumatized much from homicide, what? Don't wanna flip up, mama, I must be the one that I trust. I ain't got no friend, I ain't got no grin. But I'm macho when I lock load and I block foes in. When I stop souls and I rock hold, I'ma drop those sins. In a box so slim, inside of my knock grows grim. My hurt, it goes deep. I serve and go weep. A vertical leap when you're alert in your sleep. Was a word of a treatment, somebody murdered more peace. Inside of my third, it's so bleak Done so much dirt, I go leave to cheat Don't let this eat me alive I only can see this world from the inside And I'm holding it inside And I can cut you back and let me go And nothing's making sense And I have no patience for anything So I'm going on every day Somebody get me out I'm impatiently waiting, can get in time to awake on Tech 9, challenge my mind, and then I got on my grind. I wrote up some rhymes, and now it's time to go get them. 
Every man, woman, gender neutral, state to state, and back to the future. Yeah, I was in the Navy, born and raised a lady. Jesus Christ, you saved me. A lot is who I'm praising. Y'all is so amazing. Y'all, I need a daily. Y'all know who said that. Tadashi and that lady. Yes, yeah, so I'm a spiritual dude, and guess what? I'm an intellectual too. And just cause I'm pansexual doesn't mean that I wanna lay next to you, dude. Go make me some coffee and roll me a blunt. I'm not here to confront. I just say what I want. If that bothers you, boo, well, you bother me too. I'm untraditional. Uninhibited, uncensored, and authentic. Don't you get it? Or did you miss it? Don't let this eat me alive. I only can see this world from the inside. And I'm going inside. And I can cut the back and let it go. And nothing's making sense. And I have no patience for anything. Okay, and that was PTSD by Tech9 featuring King Katon. And you can find that on SoundCloud uh, if you type that in. So thanks again so much for Terrence Katon for calling in. We'll be playing a little bit more music, and then we'll be back with some more news stories, so please stay tuned. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. This is the Weekly Review with Roman going over news, current events, and sharing information with all of our listeners out there. Confused. 
sometimes it seems to me as if I'm just being used. Gotta stay awake, gotta try and shake off this creeping malaise. If I don't stand my
And welcome back to the Weekly Review. That was Pink Floyd with Dogs Rock from the album Animals. There's only a few tracks on that album, and they're really long tracks. So that track was split up about three times over the course of the show. Again, big thank you to Terrence Caton for calling in. Ah, so we got some more news articles for you. There's always a lot to share, and every week before I do the show, I go through a few, and there's always not, I feel, how does one put together two hours or an hour and 50 minutes a week of so much material and there's never a shortage of ideas to share and really wanting to to speak um, and provide information for marginalized communities and in terms of survival and ideas about how to come together and that's something else. I was thinking about that a little bit in the beginning of the show as well, this idea that there's a lot of folks who are opposed to what's happening and then as far as how to act how does one turn one's anger fear sadness depression I'll, speaking for myself certainly and i feel like these because i can't speak for anyone else uh, these emotions that are common in me certainly how do i turn these emotions into something proactive that helps and i feel that's a very common thing is that we're taught to be powerless we're taught that we can't make a difference we're taught that our voices don't count we're taught that our feelings don't don't matter or don't have any relevance or any say and we're we're told to be quiet a lot of the time and so there's so many messages whether it's from the media it could be from family it could be from relationships it could be from friends it could be from coworkers and a lot of it can be uh even really under the surface and we myself I can partake in that some of that as well where there's this disbelief in that this is the world we're living in and in a way it feels really backwards and I feel most of us, again, I can't, I know that's a really tricky thing, so I don't want to speak, I can't speak for anyone else but myself, yet I recognize a lot of what I feel is, there's, there must be a universal feeling to that, that there is this idea that a lot of what we have to experience in the world to stay alive, to keep ourselves safe and our friends and family safe, is this, it, it's not just a, like a one-time thing where there's, oh, we need to solve this one problem, and then we'll be okay, or we get to get through this one situation, and then we'll be all right. There seems to be a constant barrage of attacks that we face, whether it's a microaggression, which are plentiful and are completely normalized when you think about misogyny, transphobia, and to a degree, homophobia is, racism is, these, the, and there are folks who just don't want to acknowledge that it's real, and that's a whole other problem in itself. How does one navigate the world knowing that there are behaviors against us based on the bodies we've been born into that that goes beyond the wanting to stay safe in the world it's a whole how do how does one exist in the world how can i feel heard and seen and survive in the world let alone thrive there's just this feeling of wanting to exist and to walk through the world and to be acknowledged and i feel it's really difficult for a lot of people for us to do this and it's not again it's not like a one-time thing it's not oh, we'll solve this one problem and then everything will be okay. There there seems to be battle after battle after battle and it comes from what I believe is more of the Stockholm Syndrome from capitalism. And my friend Colin who wrote this amazing post, which I've now shared on the Weekly Review page so you can read it in its entirety if you go to facebook.com slash weeklyrev or if you're, we're friends on Facebook, you can read that on my page as well. He He calls it racial capitalism and that's what it is. And this idea of how it's just so oppressive and 
my understanding is that I feel in general, there's this idea, especially within the gay community and within a lot of rich white cis gay men, for instance, there's this idea of assimilation and in a way it's Stockholm syndrome and folks end up kind of inhabiting this, these oppressive behaviors that have been forced on them. And I think part of that is due to the fact that we lost so many people in the eighties and nineties and beyond due to HIV and AIDS and that there are folks who would be out there challenging the system, creating new ways of living and they're not there. And so in its place, folks end up looking up to the people who have assimilated, whether it's the straight folks who they can just kind of take on what the world has offered them and they haven't faced as many, or maybe not the same struggles, for instance, and they continue on with these behaviors and people don't have anyone else to look up to. So we end up inhabiting that. And I feel guilty of that too, where there's this, and I do feel complicit. And especially as an American, I have to say that I feel on every show, as someone who's a citizen of this country, there's this idea that I feel extremely uh, complicit in this idea. I've been opposed to the fucking wars that have been fought since I've been around here. Um, and at the same time, aside from petitioning or going on protests or creating art and trying to find many ways to, to stop it or to change the dynamic, there is a sense of if I'm not actively stopping it, then in a way I'm part of the problem. And I feel like one has there's blood on our hands, certainly like I haven't. And I realize like these are systems that have been in place since before any of us got here. So there is that, the difficulty in that with, with prison, like mass incarceration, for instance, which is only increasing and with the police force and law enforcement becoming more and more militarized and the, and the lack of food or not, I shouldn't say lack of food. I should say maybe perhaps lack of availability of food and people not being allowed to live off grid and creating their own ways of living. There seems to be, this pressure against us to really advocate for ourselves because the people in power don't want that. They want us to be reliant on them and to repeat their behaviors, even if that means, or maybe even especially if that means oppressing others. And that's what we're seeing a lot of too, especially in this recent election cycle. We're seeing more and more people push other people around and pushing people down. And how does one break out of that mentality if that's what you're trained to do? We're all living organisms. We're all uh, we all have a, our behaviors. I mean, the only thing we can change, I guess, is our own behavior. And I'm wondering how we can go about doing that to change one's own behavior with this idea of modeling something else, because if we can model other ways of being, then perhaps it can spread. And I think that's what a lot of people have been doing for a long time and they've been attacked by the state. So thinking again out loud about how we can go about doing that. So here's an article from Vice by Chase Strangio, and this came out on December 22nd, and it's how LGBTQ people can fight a Trump administration. So here are some concrete examples, and Chase is the lawyer for Chelsea Manning, so and posts a lot of really informative articles, so I thought this would be a, an important thing to share. And of course, again, I know there's so many folks who are being hurt by this by the regime and have been hurt since before, so I, I also want to be clear that this is not... Uh, just uh, something that LGBTQ folks are suffering from. We recognize that this is, there's so many groups and hopefully we can find ways to work together and really discuss intersectionality and find ways that we can all have each other's backs in this. Because, because at the end of the day, we, we have the numbers. And if we can somehow come together and fight for one another on each other's behalf, that's how we'll win, I believe. So Chase writes, how does an administration hostile to LGBTQ rights shift the playbook for transgender activism? In the wake of last month's election, marginalized communities threatened during Trump's campaign, immigrants, the poor, people of color, LGBTQ people, and others have been left to grapple with an uncertain future. 
For transgender Americans, a Trump administration signals the possible end of legal protections gained under Obama. Over the past eight years, various executive agencies administering housing, health, education, and more have made clear that transgender people are protected under existing laws prohibiting discrimination based on sex. This has allowed transgender students broader protection from discrimination in schools, extended greater legal rights to homeless transgender people in public housing, and given many access to life-saving medical care under the Affordable Care Act. In these and other ways, President Obama and his administration have saved untold trans and gender nonconforming lives. These protections are now in danger. On the back of one of the most discriminatory party platforms in the GOP's history, and flanked by a vice president with a demonstrated and vested interest in rescinding LGBTQ rights, Trump will enter the White House carrying promises to roll back each of President Obama's executive orders, including those protecting LGBTQ employees of federal contractors from discrimination and transgender students' rights. He has promised to sign the First Amendment Defense Act, which legalizes a variety of anti-LGBTQ discriminatory acts in the name of religious freedom, and his incoming cabinet is already riddled with appointments who oppose LGBTQ rights. In these and other ways, a White House led by Trump and Pence portends havoc for the LGBTQ community. Transgender advocates fear their administration will present immense challenges to the mission of transgender activism, and legal experts agree. All the necessities to survive and thrive in this country are on the line following this election, Chris Hayashi, executive director of the Oakland-based Transgender Law Center, recently told me. How can we even do our work under a Trump administration? It's a question I found myself asking the day after the election, and one that has stalked me since. As a lawyer and advocate for trans communities and a transgender person myself, I found it hard to imagine the future of my own work and that of my colleagues under Trump's federal government. It is an environment that seems so antithetical to our physical and psychic well-being, both in spirit and action, that it has felt easy to despair for the future of the safety and legal protection of transgender persons in this country. But even with the accumulated threat that Trump and his ideology represent to our community, the answer is simply that the future of our movement must react in turn. We must become both more subtle and more bold in how we fight back against those who would see us as less than human. Moving forward, this means we cannot simply embrace a strategy of focusing on formal federal legal protections. No federal law or Supreme Court decision has ever ushered in the end of racism, sexism, xenophobia, or homophobia, particularly with a federal administration that is hostile to civil rights wholesale and LGBTQ rights in particular, our efforts must be aimed at state and local strategies, grassroots organizing, and coalition building across movements. That said, a hostile administration and significant barriers to progress at the state level are nothing new for the LGBTQ rights movement. After Massachusetts became the first state to allow same-sex marriage in May 2004, 11 states voted to amend their state constitutions to bar marriage equality at the ballot in November of that year. Before that, federal laws like the Defense of Marriage Act, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the Prison Litigation Reform Act, Immigration Reform the, uh, the Prison Litigation Reform Act, immigration reform laws known as AEDPA and IIRIRA, and a welfare reform law targeted 
uh, known as the Responsibility and Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act, all targeted LGBTQ people throughout the 90s in ways both explicit and implicit. Their consequences persist today, particularly for LGBTQ prisoners, immigrants, and people in poverty. History has been rife with roadblocks to justice like these. And the barriers to trans survival we face are not new. We must change going forward. (coughs) Excuse me. What must change going forward is how we address them. Rather than turn to what Hayashi identifies as backroom negotiation or compromising in order to maintain a seat at the federal table, we must intensify our efforts to organize and win hearts and minds locally through community-based public education campaigns, to invest in our people through leadership development and training, and to protect each other. His comments are echoed by Dean Spade, founder of the New York City-based Sylvia Rivera Law Project. Spade believes Trump's rise redoubles the need for trans activists to deepen their connection to local, community-based work in a way that means supporting individual people in prisons, jails, and detention centers, people facing eviction and foreclosure, homeless people facing sweeps, trans and queer people of color facing police harassment in the street. If avenues to gain or maintain legal protections at the federal level are shut down, there will be ways forward in state legislatures and state courts. If state legislatures and courts become inhospitable, we will turn to base building and public education strategies to move public understanding about trans people in their stead. The goal over the course of the next four years will not be to win every fight. If we're always winning, we're not taking on the right fights. Instead, we must assess where we can learn, build, and grow as individuals and as movements. At times, that will mean losing forward and or sitting some battles out for the sake of others. It will mean finding ways to energize those battles from the base up and bringing our most vulnerable constituents to their center. In an interview with Truth Out last month, Muslim Iranian author Hoda Katebi called on activists to consume what lights your soul on fire and love our people intensely and intentionally. That's not a mere aspirational attitude. It's a roadmap for how we can do our work. To Hayashi, this means building alliances across movements for social and racial justice, supporting local transgender and gender nonconforming leadership, and organizing movements and protecting folks in the immediate term as best we can. We have models for all this, notes Spade, in organizations like his Sylvia Rivera Law Project and others, like Trans Justice Funding Project that provide legal support to transgender individuals who face a biased criminal justice system, working to develop trans activists and political leaders, and organizing to combat structural inequalities on a local level. For generations, transgender people have been showing out for each other in ways that have gone unrecognized. When the legal system has failed them, or itself enacted violence against them, they have built social and organizational survival networks of their own. Now is a good time to take a page from Miss Major, the groundbreaking trans activist and leader, notes Spade, to open up our wallets and homes to each other, be shameless in our queerness and our transness, give each other loving affirmation, listen to the experiences of those whose lives are erased by the current surge of trans visibility, and stick around in community through thick and thin until we are old and wise like her. These are our community legacies, survival in the face of violence, resistance in the face of legal repression, and love in the face of hate. Now is the time to build locally, to organize with intersectionality, and to fight uncompromisingly. 
We will see you in the streets, in our legislatures, and in our courts. Now as ever, our work has just begun.
Okay, and welcome back. So we have reached the end of the program. Thank you so much for everyone for listening in. Thank you to Terrence K. Tan for calling in and sharing your thoughts and your life experience with us. Uh, big early birthday, early early birthday. I was going to say thank you, but thank you for being alive, Dana Morgan. Uh, we appreciate you, and I'm glad you're here. Dana has introduced me to so much good music in the years that I've known her, so... Really big thank you to that. And to uh, if you're interested in doing karaoke, Dana hosts every Thursday night at OMG. So if you're looking for a good Thursday night karaoke place to go, check out OMG. There's a lot of good folks who hang out there. And it's a good time. I always meet some good people and hear a lot of good music. And you might often see me or hear me singing some Rage Against the Machine or other political songs uh, that, you, that you might like. So stay tuned because coming up next, we have... Global Val with Women's Magazine, followed by the Common Thread Collective with Global Val and Diamond Dave. There's always a good time here at Mutiny Radio. Also want to extend the invitation for folks to to come by the station. We're here. It's a it's a free space to come in and, and hang out. There's live shows here, uh, performances in the, many evenings. So you can check out more information at mutinyradio.fm for our full schedule. So that'll be it for today. My name again is Roman. Please uh, be kind to yourself, be kind to each other, reach out. And if you have resources, that's a big thing. Whether it's capital, uh, whether it's a space, whether it's an idea, share it, get in contact with each other. This is the only way we're going to get through this thing. And to all the Rockettes and the folks out there and people fighting back, keep on fighting and we have your back and sending you lots of love and support. So have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week. And it seems that we're having some technical issues right now with uh, getting the, the breaker on. So just bear with us momentarily. And uh, we'll have it up pretty shortly. And until then, just uh, keep on listening, and we'll be back in a little bit. Pirate ship. As we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse 
every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pam Dastics books the best of San Francisco and beyond underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, 